Hi, this is Johnny Crist, and we've got a little conversation today that we're talking about. That's exciting. I find out as I live around people, everybody thinks that, man, my life isn't going anywhere. There's some stuff that's not really doing well. But, you know, everybody has a story. And in that story, there can be an incredible amount of life-giving interchange to somebody else who's walking the very same thing that you've gone through. And so today, we've got a story. So I want you to put your seatbelt on for this, because I've got a couple of talkers in the room. And my job is going to be to be a traffic cop to get them stopped and, and try to get moving. I've got Suzanne and Rachel Guy in the studio today. Thank you for coming, Thank Suzanne. Thank you for having us. It's Thank a privilege you. to be here this with you This is a mother and, and daughter. And uh, Rachel, you're gonna, my uh, request to you is you're going to have to sit out just for a little bit until you enter the picture of this story, because we've got to have Mama give the background and then we're gonna, that is very true. So Suzanne um, has um, you've had an incredible life the last few years. Uh, there's been some miraculous and interesting things that happened to. So uh, a lot going on. Yeah. So when did you know you were falling in love with Peter? I would say when we were in a college class together, a broadcasting college class oh, together. No. You met in college. Yes. Okay. Oh, what do you mean? You just met and you fell in love? What, what happened? We were in this broadcasting class together. He was actually the professor's assistant. And um, I noticed all the girls were fawning over him. And I thought, I am not going to be that girl. I mm-hmm. am not going to be that girl. Oh, yeah. But then one day I find out I'm that, that girl. he... Uh, well, yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> he was very interested in me. And he was the one that started pursuing me, as it should be, I believe. And um, one thing led to another, and he asked me out on a date, and um, that actually never materialized, and I went out of town for an internship in California, and when I came back to Colorado State University, he asked me out on another date, and the rest is history. So did you know before he did that you were going to get married? Or did he know, Did like the first date, did he say, aha, uh-huh, hubba hubba ding ding, you make my heart sing? <laughs> I mean, how did this happen? I like that. You know what? I think we both sort of knew that that this was it, that that we were each the one. You know, our first date, something that I so remember and so does he, was he took me on this wonderful carriage ride. We went out to eat. Oh, he could not man. afford the meal, so he said or to me. Or the carriage. <laughs> but he made it work. Um, he said, um, do you mind if we just have salads? I can't. <laughs> afford this restaurant <laughs> I took you to. So that was pretty memorable. That is very Isn't that charming, yeah. And then we actually sat and talked until like two or three in the morning arguing about God and politics. Who talked the most? So, Or should I not even guess I on that I think you probably know who that was, but I don't know. At that point in time, it was both of us. <laughs> uh, strong-willed, very vocal people, agreeing on some things, but uh, strongly disagreeing on other things. When you were in this uh, pre-date, or in dating premarital stuff, did you talk about having a family? You know, that wasn't a huge topic of conversation, but honestly, Johnny, I think we did what a lot of people do, is we both knew we wanted a family, and we both knew we wanted a family right away, so we almost just assumed 
this was going to happen. We were going to have a family. And that was just almost an unspoken assumption that we would get married, start a family right away, have lots of children. And it was just assumed. And it was a good assumption. It was. And you wanted to a have a good s- dream. Okay. So, how long after your wedding did you get pregnant? It was seven years, seven long years. Really? And that's why, how I kind of said we assumed it really was a reality check that um, infertility is very real. And even though it's easy to assume when you're young, that you will get pregnant right away, that that is not how it always plays out for everybody else. So I have a real heart, especially for anybody in the listening audience, to know that you are seen and loved by God, and it can be a very lonely place, the journey. So you were fearing you couldn't get pregnant. After seven years, you thought, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong here. Exactly. And then... One day. And then the adventure starts. That's exactly right. Okay, so you came home from somewhere and said, honey, honey, guess what? We're with child. That's exactly it. You know, I I know a lot of women have this journey when you're struggling with infertility. You continue to go to, you know, the store and buy the pregnancy test, and Mm -hmm. you think, this is going to be the time that I'll see those lines. Did you do all that? Yes. I mean, constantly did it, and, and almost really gave up hope, um, but kept going. And and God really brought me to a place of surrender. That is a very big piece of our story because there was such a defining moment where I really felt like Jesus so tenderly said to me, you have a good and beautiful dream. Pete does too, but I felt like this was so personal to Mm -hmm. how I was struggling because Pete was really walking in freedom with this, but I was just in agony for so long. And I felt like God said, you have a good and perfect dream that I gave to you, but you've made the dream more important than the dream giver. Hmm. Okay, so you were trying to get, you two were trying to start a family. Right. And you just couldn't for seven years. Right. The day came where the pregnancy test, after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on those little tests from CVS <laughs> or Probably not that much, oh, but okay. quite a bit of money, yes. <laughs> okay. With anticipation and suddenly, how did you know that this was going to really result in a baby. I mean, if you're infertile, then you kind of think, oh, this will not happen. Did you have an anticipation that this was really going to end up in a baby the moment you got pregnant? You know, I think because of my journey with infertility, so thrusting me into the arms of Jesus Mm -hmm. in a very new and different way than how I had been walking with him before, Mm -hmm. I really, through that painful journey and lonely journey, had really all the more been in the Word of God and really nurturing and investing in my relationship with Jesus. So that brought me to a place that when we got the great news, I was not getting were, too far ahead of myself. I'm just like, You're ready. we're having a baby. Did you have money? Uh, Nobody no. ever. Yeah. No, Yeah, that's part not. of the kicker. Nobody ever has money. No. We want to have... Uh, <laughs> my parents bought us groceries a lot of times. We did not have a lot of money, that is for sure. Did you live near your family? No, not at all. We were... We were in Chicago, and all of our family was in Colorado. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, then one day after you're carrying this baby, you got some devastating news that you weren't going to be able to deliver this baby, or tell me, or give me the backstory of what happened. Um, it, was a, it was a couple of different events. Because we were so new to this, you know, we were told... 
get into the hands of these specific doctors because of your struggle with infertility. We want to make sure you go to someplace that's considered, you know, top notch, best OBGYNs, best clinic, best hospital. Make sure this is in Colorado. This is in Chicago. 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 So that's where we were. And so I really blindly trusted these doctors and just kind of was going through the process of whatever they said. At one point, they had done a test that I would later learn was called an alpha fetal protein test. And they said, there's a chance that your baby might have Down syndrome. You need to have an amniocentesis. And I said, that's okay if our baby has Down syndrome and I'm not risking harming the child. How far into this pregnancy were you? That was in the first trimester. I don't remember exactly where. What's the first trimester? Like 12 weeks in? Right. First, it's somewhere in between like eight and 12 weeks, I believe. That they could figure out that something was wrong with this baby? What they considered to be wrong. I didn't consider that to be a concern. But the the word that you got from the medical community is you're going to have a Down syndrome baby. Right. And they wanted to do the amnio. And I said no, because there was a risk of miscarriage. And that was a non-issue to us anyway. And so they said... You know, your next ultrasound will be a level two ultrasound. You'll come back second trimester. And we did. And that's when we were in for quite a surprise, except I was by myself because my husband got called out of town. Okay. So you go into the OBGYN person or whoever does this. To the ultrasound tech. Ultrasound. (laughs) And they tell you this baby is not only going to be Down syndrome, but the baby is going to have other complications. Well, at that point, they did not identify Down syndrome whatsoever. They strictly said um, half your amniotic fluid is missing. Your baby must have a chromosomal abnormality not compatible with life. Down syndrome is compatible with life. They were thinking something Ah. out. They didn't say what. We were thinking it was told to us possibly trisomy 18, which is not compatible with life. You're using a lot of big words. You know what? You learn these crazy things that I'd never heard of before, I'm not interested in learning them. (laughs) I just want to hear this story. So you're in your uh, second trimester. Right. And now they're telling you not only the baby, that first report was the baby could have been compatible with life. Now the second report was your baby's not going to be able to live. Right. And they said, or be so mentally retarded, or what What was the issue here? They said all sorts of things. Um, basically, this doctor, you know, the, the tech called the doctor, and the doctor was frantically saying, you know, your baby's not going to live. Your baby has a chromosomal abnormality not compatible with life. They did not say anything specific. I found, I found that very ironic because to say incompatible <laughs> with life, if the child is alive, that's not incompatible with life. So that was wrong in the first place. But telling me, you need to abort, you're going to die, your baby's going to die. I refused over and over, no, thought I was having an out-of-body experience. What doctor says this? to somebody about their child. Apparently your doctor. Yes. Why all of a sudden did she become disposable just because there was something going awry in utero? Why all of a sudden was she disposable? So your doctor said, it's time to dispose of this baby. Right. Your life is in danger. Right. The baby certainly won't be able to live. That's what they said. Let's just do an abortion. You were encouraged to uh, end this pregnancy, and your husband was not there. Right, and not even encouraged, Johnny. I mean, this was 
full on insisted, you have no choice. And when I refused, mm. she said, come back in two weeks. You could tell she was frustrated with me. Come back in two weeks. As and we'll other people one. have been through the years. So, uh, okay, that I That is the truth. I can't argue with that. <laughs> I have a propensity to frustrate people. <laughs> okay. So it's time now. You refuse the doctor's orders, and apparently right. you can do that. I don't know anything about this, really. And now you're going to give birth to this baby. Well, there's a bit more to the story. Guys, so. <laughs> there's actually a uh -oh. bit for the ride. Uh -oh. That's right. Passing that seatbelt. When we went back in two weeks, um, at that point, all the amniotic fluid was gone. So again, this time, Pete was with me. I said, I am not going to this appointment by myself. I don't care what you get called out of town for. You are coming. So he got to encounter what I did. And we both said, we will not abort. We will not abort. And this time, the doctor said, I'm going to send you up to the office to talk to a different doctor in the practice. And we had the most chilling conversation because this doctor was very different in the sense that this doctor was very calm, but it was frightening because he was so casual and so normalized what he was telling us to mm -hmm. do. You are not understanding the gravity of this situation. You need to have an abortion. There is no other choice. Okay, did you ever have anybody in your family that had medical problems with uh, giving birth? Nobody. This was a mystery. All of this was something, nothing genetically. Um, it was absolutely the most unusual set of circumstances that nobody could seem to explain. So you're just a young couple. Right. Seven years of not being able to be pregnant. Right. Suddenly you're pregnant then you have a myriad of complications that are of, of tests that come out because of the infertility, and you are now faced with a life-and-death decision, or a life-changing decision, to be sure. What am I going to do? How old? Well, maybe I shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> you can ask uh, it. 31. You, <laughs> you were 31? 31, 31. And did other people help you figure how to navigate these uncharted waters, or was it just you and Pete? I will say... Your parents um, were in Colorado. You right. were in Chicago. We had an, an amazing church family. But I will say the person who was probably the most instrumental, well, too. Honestly, Johnny, God changed everything. Because as these doctors were coming at us, whether frantically or with this calm, collected doctor, God's voice was the loudest in our hearts and minds. And it was absolutely shocking to us that we're sitting across from a doctor in his office. And, and I'm thinking, I am having to convince this doctor of the value of our child, that she did not lose her value just because all of a sudden she's sick. I thought, this is crazy. So, Who has to convince a doctor? So as a, you're a young potential mom, mm -hmm. if you would Already a mom, because I was pregnant. So already a mom. Oh, excuse Already, Johnny, me. get it right. I am That's one right. of my pet peeves, Johnny. Okay. <laughs> As a young mom who hasn't yet seen her baby. Correct. You were content to have whatever you were going to have. If it would have been a monster, you were going to give birth to whatever was in the cards for you. Well, Absolutely. Down syndrome, uh, on feeding tubes the rest of the or, or, And she was or, on a feeding tube. But Johnny, let me say this, and this is where I think, I hope a lot of people can hear this. Every child 
is made in the image of Almighty God. And the thing that was so shocking to me with these doctors and society in general is we place value judgments on human life. Mm -hmm. No child is ever a monster. Every child, even if they don't line up with whatever that normal box is, which there is no normal box, every child is intrinsically valuable. So we weren't thinking, even though the doctors were saying, this will be wrong, this will be wrong. Are you talking to me right now? Are you preaching to me right now? Well, it's a little bit of both, You got a little soapbox you're on right there. The soapbox is strapped to my feet, Johnny. I told everybody they better put a (laughs) seatbelt on. Remember, we've got Rachel in the room. We've got to talk to her. Okay, so I want to get to the point you actually did Give I have birth. my soapbox too. Oh no, this double whammy. <laughs> uh, so you gave birth to, if I have this figure correct, one pound six ounces. Two ounces. Two. One pound two ounce little girl. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's stunning. And she's sitting here in the room right, right now. So I will. We'll get to you in just a moment. So. How does a one pound, two ounce live? She was in neonatal, I suspect, filled with tubes. In yes, five and a half months. Wait, um, she was in the in the the NICU for NICU five and a half. Five and a half months. Were you there every day? Every single day, except for one day when we were closing on our house, and I was spit firing mad that I wasn't <laughs> allowed to be there. And so, at one pound, two ounces, how much do you gain a month? I mean, most babies are eight to nine pounds right yeah and more like yeah seven supposed to be two pounds at what now at 26 weeks i was born at 26 weeks oh at when you are born okay at 26 weeks gestationally you're supposed to be two pounds i was born at 26 weeks the day of and i was born one pound two ounces so i was a pound underweight what i should have been yeah a little bit underweight not quite a pound Right. So no, it was a day-to-day. The, the hospital truly became our family. These mm-hmm. were incredible doctors and nurses, so loving and amazing. The journey of a micropremie wow. is two steps oh, that's forward what they call and it? ten back. A yes, they even have a name for it. How much did you pay for parking for five months? That is an excellent question. I don't know that I thought about that. Um, I don't even it's remember where be. we parked. How much was the bill? So... She was an expensive human being. She was. You would, I would have to ask my husband that. I didn't care or think about those things. I was yeah. so laser focused on what her life really taught us was every moment is such a supreme gift sure. from God. Were you allowed to hold her? Not initially it, because she was so yeah. profoundly sick and yeah. delicate. And you don't really start gaining your weight, at least this is what I was told, until you get into your third trimester. And she was already so, the terminology, they don't use this terminology anymore, but she was so growth retarded, that's what they used at the time, that she was very emaciated looking, did not really have a lot of, um, um, you know, that that gaining weight on her. I'm not explaining this well. well but um, I bet your baby pictures, baby book's pretty cool to look, to watch, to see. It's very unusual. <laughs> Lots of tubes and things and gaining weight was very problematic that's a oh, very sure. hard thing for yeah because you're just doing something with a drip you're holding up that little thing and it's just kind of dripping down into the an ng tube whatever. right through the yeah. nose yeah through, yeah how often did peter get there you know he would come every single day after work and then be there on the weekends with us so that was a gift five months five, it, and, five, and, a five and a half months in the nick unit Okay, so the day comes, uh, Mrs. Guy, take your baby home. How yes. how much did she weigh? Oh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but she was close to seven pounds. 
after five and a half months, I want to say seven pounds. That's close out to there. seven pounds. I I hope I'm not remembering wrong. I mean, they had a very definitive weight that she had to be before they would let her go yeah, home. Right. Uh, what what did this do for your marriage when you've got a baby over living in the Hilton and you guys are right. living in your? Uh, I like that. What did was did you know how you're going to pay for it? The bill. You I know, mean, I imagine it's a million dollars, right? I mean, oh, I'm sure it. I'm sure it five is. Five and a half months. Praise God for insurance. Oh my it goodness! It was. You know, I will tell you something. When we were in the NICU, I remember saying to some of the nurses, "How come most parents? Because there were other babies in the room that we were in. How come I don't see a lot of the other parents visiting their kids?" And they said, "One is they're afraid to get attached, which is heartbreaking." Oh, because you were thinking she's going to die. Is that no, I wasn't thinking she was going to die, but a lot of the parents, parents were, that's and that's the why fear. they wouldn't visit. Oh, my but goodness. I, I delve into that because they also said this is very hard on marriages. Most marriages even break up when they have a child who's horribly sick. But for Peter and me, it was actually, and I know this is only the Lord. I, this is the power of Jesus. It actually, we, we drew closer together. And, and even hearing that from the nurses, I think, made us more intentional to be aware that it, it can drive people apart sure. because of the anxiety and oh, such. Yeah. Well, but can. it actually, we just, one day at a time, we did not get too far ahead of ourselves. Again, her life taught us, don't get, you pray about the future, but you live in the moment at hand. And when you live in the moment at hand, sure. that Bible verse is really true. Perfect love casts out fear. I'm the biggest scaredy cat on the planet. I am the biggest worry wart. And we saw Jesus show up because when you love in that moment, you are yeah. free. Okay. Just calm oh, down sorry. here a little bit. I'm climbing off okay. the soapbox. So, uh, so Rachel, you're, you're now the only child... Yeah. Coming into this at 1.2 pounds. Yeah. Unbelievable. When did you hear the story about your birth? Well, I always knew it. I mean, bits and pieces that were appropriate to share at the age that I was. Um, but I think I kind of, um, when I was 14 years old, I really, I wanted to, I just wanted to, I think, unbeknownst to me, I wanted to be able to capture the story for myself. And I wanted to, I wanted it to be become a part of my heart, not just the story that I know is our family's story, but I wanted it to be a part of me. And so I just started, um, you know, just kind of um, just learning a bit more of the details, just wanting to know a bit more. Um, and this is a side note and not what you're asking, but I want to share this. So I'm going <laughs> to do it. Trail. Um, okay. But so when I'd really felt burdened to kind of own the story when I was 14, it was in October. And then in December, God asks me to write the doctors who didn't fight for me. Um, the three doctors who told my parents to abort me, who, you know, one doctor said the only test we'll offer is an autopsy. Um, and the other doctor practically yelling at my mom saying to abort. And the other doctor calmly saying this. Wait a minute, so you're 14 years old. 14. And you're going to write a letter to a doc who probably may not un even remember the story 14 years yeah, earlier. Right, right. And you're going to surprise them all. I didn't know about this. So, okay, so you write a story, or you write yeah. a a note. Yeah, so... Um, and said, hi, I'm Rachel. Exactly. 1.2... Um, go ahead. So, um, so... It was a five and a half month process, and I didn't know what I would say. I literally had no idea. I was like, okay, God, you told me to write this, but I don't know what to say. You have to tell me. And so um, he was really faithful, and he gave me three messages. Share the gospel. Share that I forgive them. 
or I'm sorry, well, share the gospel, that too, but share the gospel, share that I personally forgive them and um, ask the doctors to use their power to fight for life and not to harm life. So I send the letter off, um, not expecting any responses. And I, because I had, A, I had hoped at that point they were Christians. I was praying about that. It was um, also a journey that I'd literally never been in the Word of God more in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I was. Did you ever get a response? I did. Good, so, good um, bad, ugly? It was, it was cordial, very cordial and kind. Um, so I go to the mailbox um, about a week or two later after sending the note, not expecting to get a note, and I get a handwritten note from one of the doctors saying, I didn't think that you would live. I'm thankful that you're alive, and I would like to meet you. And it was a handwritten note. He'd even put his own home address. And then a week oh later, I get goodness. a response. Can you believe it? Can it's you almost believe it? sounds like meeting your parents that were divorced or something. You're going right. to meet your dad for the exactly. first time. Exactly. Crazy. Unbelievable. So. Um, did you ever think when you were a child hearing this, did you ever think you're not normal? Did you ever think that maybe you have a handicap or you're not mm-hmm. going to keep up with everybody? Does that Honestly, something I think that's so beautiful about my parents is, well, that my parents that, well, okay, two things. Like I never had any health conditions because of being in the NICU, like outside of, um, outside of being on oxygen and being in quarantine when I was two years old and, um, and definitely having some delays kind of because I was born so prematurely, it never really manifested itself in a major way in my life later on. Um, never so, had any complications whatsoever. No, I mean, and the reason why I wear glasses is because my parents have horrible eyesight, so that gene just <laughs> <laughs> delightfully passed down. Contacts. Um, well, you're a beautiful young woman. Thank you. And it's just amazing to even believe that who we're talking about is sitting right here at this yeah, table yeah. and capturing this uh, yeah. incredible moment. Do you remember anything about the hospital? Uh-huh. Do you remember anything <laughs> about first grade? How far back did, do you go? Oh, goodness, that's a sweet question. Let's see. Um, do you remember your parents arguing? No. Oh. And my parents have a beautiful marriage. Johnny, Chris. <laughs> we argue sometimes. Let's keep it real. This is real radio, okay? <laughs> well, yes, but not often. I mean, I mean, truly, and I, another side, but like really, like my parents, I mean, they have genuinely, they have genuinely exemplified for me what it means to have a true relationship with Jesus. It's mm-hmm. it's that loving, it's that beautiful God-given, loving each other um, just as a unit, as a family. So this whole thing brought you together as a family Absolutely. and did yes. something for your faith yep. inside you. Yes. For sure. I mean, I feel like I'm speaking to celebrities here. You're on... No, uh, not at all. How many new Average sta- Joes. Okay, there but no you're on... Uh, show, you've been on Fox... Yep. Right. And what uh, you've been on? What CNN? What who? No CNN. Where, we were where, all three of us run focus on the family. focus on the family. So you go around the world telling your story. And so um, as this thing moves forward, then you get radically involved in helping other parents who are going through this thing to say, "Hey, this is a baby," and right. and, and then you started the five hundred one c three nonprofit. Well, I wish it was a 501c3. Not yet. Life Initiatives and Values is something that we started out of our wonderful church, First Baptist Church of Woodstock, mm-hmm. something that... Um, I've re- heard of it. I think you have. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful church. And it's something that um, God just put on my heart that, you know, to ask the leadership and, and talk about the priority of having a very specific pro-life ministry, but not just specific to First yeah. Baptist for anyone, do mom, anyone. Do, do moms come to you? 
Do yes. other moms want to talk to you? Yes. About what in the world? Face with, I'm faced with some pretty big decisions here. But yes, and, and one of the number one things that I tell them is my mom's favorite uh, famous line, if there's a heartbeat, there's hope. <laughs> so to keep fighting, but also to recognize no matter what the doctors say about your child, and even if it's absolutely true that there will be some <laughs> health struggles, that that child was still created by God with a very specific purpose, yeah. has yeah. not lost his or her valuable value just because of a prenatal diagnosis. Well, uh, Rachel, you're sort of the poster child for what every parent wants, and that is a beautiful, healthy child <laughs> who's on the right road. <laughs> That's you. And in all of this strange um, story, um, it's given you, um, it, it's kind of like your focus of life now. You want to help other, uh, I don't know how, parent, I can't, you, but you're, you're in the battle mm -hmm. saying, yeah. um, this is a story of what every kid wants, and that is to be loved by their parents. Right. You know, we all carry scars, wounds, baggage for something that was said to us. Sure. Done well to us. And the fight that you put up for your child is all-star. I am Aww, so grateful you've taken so time kind. out of your, your, so your time to come be with us today and share this miraculous story that's got passion written all over it. And I told everybody when we're coming in, put your seatbelt on, and that's exactly what happened today. I hardly got a word in edgewise. <laughs> Sorry about that, Johnny. <laughs> so if you want to hear some past shows or you want to hear more about this, um, how would we get in touch with you? If somebody in the says, hey, I want to talk to that lady or I want to talk to that, how would we do that? Well, you can go on my Facebook page, um, Rachel Guy. Rachel Guy, G-U-Y, yes, Rachel Guy. Guys. And then also... I'm comfortable giving out our phone number. Is that acceptable? Well, how to give about an mine? email address? Or okay, a... an email? Sure. It's a mouthful. But um, this email is literally about being a voice for the voiceless. That's what mm -hmm. this email um, okay. encompasses. It's what a is Bible it? verse, Proverbs <laughs> 31, spell out 8, E-I-G-H-T, at A-T-T dot net. And we've also got that at the studio. So we're here at End Results. And if you want to contact us here, that's with a Z or anywhere you get your podcast. My name is Johnny Crist, and this has been called That's Exciting. You two have clearly typified That's Exciting. Thank Aww, you for your time. God bless you. Thank you. I pray all parents see hope. Yeah. That's, can we leave with that? That and no God, one ever regrets fighting for life. <laughs> and yeah. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank Bye -bye. you. Thank you.